Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, and a few things that we will gather here tonight. There will be many things mentioned, but too chiefly, we understand that we are to live for the glory of God. And what exactly does that mean? You will see that in this text. By obeying these things, you are living for the glory of God. We do not do these things to gain favor with God. We gain favor only through Jesus Christ who lived to this law perfectly and by faith He has saved us. We do this to glorify God. The Bible says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And so we as God's people ought to live for God's glory. Again in the New Testament, the Old Testament as well, the Bible says, Be ye holy as I am holy, saith the Lord. It's not that we are saved from sin to live in sin. We are saved from sin. We ought to live to the glory of God. Not only that, we will see in this a schoolmaster that leads us to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, when we see this, we see how holy God is. We see a glimpse of His holiness and His righteousness and how we are unworthy creatures and that we cannot measure up to the standards of God and that except for the Lord Jesus Christ who lived for us, we would have no hope. Hope only in Christ alone. In verse number 1, the Bible says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Before he mentions one word in the Ten Commandments, he expressly tells us who he is. He expresses who he is. I am Jehovah thy God. He gives all the reason in the world for us to follow the next few verses, the next couple of commandments. He says, I am Jehovah And who He is is why we should follow Him. He tells us He's Jehovah, which simply means the self-existent and eternal God. If God had never done a single thing for you, the fact that He is who He is requires us to submit to Him. Whether you feel like He's done you right, whether you feel like you got so-called dealt a good hand of cards, does not matter. God is who He is, and because of who He is, He says, I am the Lord thy God. Follow me. Obey me. Listen to me. And so he draws attention to who he is. Who we should not follow another. We should only follow one who deserves following. And he is Jehovah God. He is the triune holy God of heaven. As Isaiah said in chapter number 6, he saw the Lord high and lifted up and the seraphims were crying around saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is holy. He's magnificent. He's our Creator. Who is God? He's our Creator. He's a self-existent God. Every single creature, every single thing owes its existence to this God. But He owes His existence to nobody. He's self-existent. He has no beginning and He has no ending. He says, I am the self-existent God. Obey Me. And if He gave no other reason, then we ought to follow Him wholeheartedly with all of our desires, with everything inside of us. And when we got done following, we'd be nothing more than just servants. We've done nothing but what we've been asked. If that had not been enough, He says, I am the Lord thy God. So He gave who He is, 
And he says he relates to us in a covenantal sense. Whose God is he? Thy God. Speaking to his people, I am the Lord thy God. Because he has initiated a relationship with us, we owe our service to him. We are indebted to him. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, that God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Because He is our God, because we're in a covenant relationship with Him, we owe our service to Him. We owe all of our obedience to Him. There's no other being, or no other person, or no other thing that could take our obedience away from God. He earned it because of who He is. Because what He's done. Everything about Him means that we ought to follow after Him. He lays that out very clearly for us. Not only is He related to us in covenant, but then He speaks to His graciousness to us, His sweet grace that brought us out of bondage. Listen to this. I am the Lord thy God which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt out of the house of bondage. Had the two first reasons not been enough, now He tells us that sweet grace whereby He brought His people out of the land of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery. Is that not true for every child of God? We were slaves to sin. We were in bondage of sin. We were in total depravity. We had no means of getting out of our sinful state. And He brought us by His grace out of the land of Egypt out of this bondage of sin, out of this slavery. And then he says, Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. Literally, there should be no other gods before His face. And in other words, He is the only God and there is no competition. There should be none on God's green earth that should take any of His glory any of His praise, any of His service, He says, Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. He's brought us into a new relationship, a right standing with Him. We now have Christian liberty that the following verses, the following commandments are something that our heart desires to obey. There's this false idea of Christian liberty today that we can live as we please because we've been made free in Christ. Friend, we've been made free in Christ to serve Him. The things that we used to love, we now hate. And the God we used to hate, we now love Him. And we want to serve Him. And He says, Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. These Ten Commandments are not commandments that we tell lost people trying to get them to reform their character and reform themselves in the Ten Do's and Don'ts. And if you'll do this, you'll be good to go. No, this is what God commands us of us all. And we do them because He's made us free. Not to make us free, but because He's made us free. And because He's freed us from sin, we have a longing and a desire down deep in our hearts that that law that we used to hate, that law we used to rebel against, those other gods that we used to serve, we now hate those things. 
And when He tells us, Thou shalt have no other gods before Me, it is a joy to our heart and we say, Yes, King Jesus. Yes, Master. Whatever Thou biddest Me to do, I shall do it. There's a lifelong change in your life of a a sanctification where you are conformed to the image of His dear Son, where, where you are being made to the image of Christ. We're going to look at these verses. I got a little ahead of myself. There's two tables here I want to look at. How the law of God here, the moral law, the Ten Commandments apply in a vertical sense between us and God. And then secondly, we'll look at a horizontal sense whereby He commands how we ought to live with our neighbor. Here starting out vertically, starting out with the most important aspect is how we live in respect to God. Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. Having just given reasons for various reasons for obedience, it stands necessary that we should see this. I mean, it just makes sense. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Why, who was it that saved you? It was not silver and gold. It was not yourself. But it was the grace of God. We should have no other gods before us. Who is it that supplies your daily bread? But God Himself? Why should we serve another? Who was it that woke you up this morning? Why serve another? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. None. This command right here commands our absolute love and affection to the one sovereign God of the universe. You shall have no other gods. There's, he, he's a jealous God and He's jealous of His own glory and He's jealous of His own name. And He said, You shall have no other gods before Me. He says, I command that you love Me supremely. You shall not love another. You shall not love Me a little bit on Sunday and someone else a little the next day. He commands our supreme love and devotion Oh, and He has every right to, brother. He has every right to, sister. He is the sovereign God of the universe. Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. Your boss is not God. Your school is not God. Your family is not God. You shall serve God alone. And if you serve Him rightly, you will take care of these other things in a God-glorifying manner. He says, God alone shall be worshipped. God alone shall be served. God alone shall be magnified in everything that is about you. We should be characterized as people that love the Lord Jesus and serve Him. When people see me, they should not see it. Uh, Jackson, the man that works at Clayton Homes and see the things that I've done in my life, they should see the glory of God. We do good works. We let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father. What is it that we teach our children? What is the chief and highest end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But how do we do that? We obey His Word. We obey the law of God. What is it that we teach our children? The Ten Commandments. Well, you say, well, is that it? No, look look through the law. You'll see the case studies and how it plays out and how these were applied. Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. He's a very jealous God. He will not be worshipped half-heartedly. Luke 14 and 
verse 26. The Bible says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Matthew 10.37, the same verse and different aspects we'll see from that. 10.37 of Matthew says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and falleth after me is not worthy of me. What's he saying there? Do we actively go out and actively hate our children and actively abandon them and actively... No. You ought to love God so much that these closest relationships that we have should look as hate in comparison. That I would love God so much that it would be like I hated my home family. Not that I love God or my family so much that God gets the extra time if I have any. Love God first. Love God supremely. You love Him supremely. In fact, you'll love your family rightly also. God takes preeminence. He does not pay second fiddle to nobody. He is first in everything, every aspect of our lives, from the home to the workplace to the worship. Every aspect of our life ought to be characterized by this love of God that there will be no other gods before me. Not politics. Not school outings. God and God alone. And when God is first, everything else will work out as God ordained it to and it meant for it to. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. These are two separate instructions. I don't believe that he's continuing off the first. They're two separate commandments. So what do I mean by that? It doesn't just mean don't worship a cow It means don't make graven images to worship aid in our worshiping of God. We don't make little crucifixes with little Jesus hanging off of them to aid in our worship of God. We don't have little pictures of little baby Jesus and try to worship God through these things. Why? Because God is a spirit and those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Anything that's created pales in comparison to that which created it. And there's no way that by any means of the works of our hands could we sculpt something to bring glory to God. There's no means where we could take something that God created and say, let's worship God through this. But only in spirit and in truth. We look back to the day of Reformation when they went through the Catholic churches and they were beating everything and breaking down the idols. I think we ought to, you know, I don't want to incite violence, but seriously, this is ridiculous. Why do we let this stuff into our homes? 
Why do we let this stuff into our homes and not even care? God still hates it just as much today. And He compared it. He said, them that hate Me. Those that would worship God in this sense, though they say they're loving God, though they think they're really doing something spectacular, He said, you're nothing but haters of God. Why? He's jealous over His name. And when you compare something that He has created and say that's Him and you try to worship Him through that and use that to aid in your worship of God, you have insulted His glory. You have blasphemed His name. And He says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate Me. You say, well, I meant well. Well, I mean well in doing this. Well, I, I just meant well by doing it. doesn't matter. What matters is the glory of God. What matters is the glory of God. God is the sovereign Creator. How in the world could anything compare to His glory but to worship Him in spirit and in truth? Worship Him with the heart according to the truth of His Word. Visiting the iniquity upon the fathers, upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. This idolatrous worship doesn't just affect one family, but it goes on from generation to generation to generation. And God does not overlook it. But He shows mercy unto thousands of them that love Him. Why should we use something He's created to try to say, look, here is God. Calvin said it this way, it is necessary then to remember what God is. God is Spirit. Lest we should form any gross or earthly ideas respecting Him, the words simply express that it is wrong. For men to seek the presence of God in any visible image because He cannot be represented to our eyes. Men have always tried representing God through something. Look at any culture and you will see that they've tried this. Is it not a pagan idea? Let's now consider the other form of idolatry that's swept across our land. Not only visible idolatry of making images But I believe also that it is when you read the Scriptures and you worship of God that you have created in your mind. You may call Him Jesus. You may call Him God. But He's not the God revealed in the Scriptures. I want to read this to you. Martin Lord Jones said this, Their God is something which they created themselves, a being who is always prepared to oblige and excuse them. They do not worship Him with awe and respect. Indeed, they do not worship Him at all. They reveal that their so-called God is no God at all in their talk. For they forever saying that they simply cannot believe that God will punish the unrepentant sinner to all eternity and this and that. They cannot believe that God will do, so therefore they draw the conclusion that God does not and will not. In other words, God does what they believe He ought to do or not do. What a false and blasphemous conception of God. How utterly untrue and unworthy such is the new paganism of today. 
What a flawed hermeneutical system to go into the Scriptures and say, I don't believe God will do this and so I will read it this way. I do not believe that God acts this way and I believe He does it this way and so I'll read the Scriptures that way. What blasphemy to the holy God of heaven. He has revealed Himself in His Word and we are to worship Him such. Not on our thoughts. Not on our ideas. Not on our emotions. The God of this 20th century no more resembles the supreme sovereign of holy writ than does the dim flickering of a candle the glory of the midday sun. The God who is now talked about in the average pulpit, spoken of in the ordinary Sunday school, mentioned in much of the religious literature of the day, and preached in most of the so-called Bible conferences, is the figment of human imagination and invention of modal and sentimentality. The heathen outside of the pale of Christendom form gods out of the wood and stone, while the millions of heathen inside of Christendom manufacture a god out of their own carnal mind. In reality, they are but atheists. For there is no other possible alternative between an absolutely supreme God and no God at all. A God whose will is resisted, whose designs are frustrated, whose purpose is checkmated, possesses no title of deity. So far from being a fit object of worship, merits not but contempt. Mm. Arthur Pink. Mm. Friends, we don't get to decide how we worship God. Amen. He's jealous of who He is and yeah. His name and His honor and His glory. You say, I don't carry around wood and statues. I don't make stones. How do you worship God? Who is He? I liken it somewhat to this. As a man is jealous over his own wife and would be angry if anyone were to violate her, so God is angry and jealous over His own glory. Next, thou shalt not bow down. Or sorry, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh His name in vain. Friends, God's last name is not a curse word. God is not a byword a sentence filler because you don't have the words to come up with an intelligible sentence anyways. You don't use Him as a byword. You say, well, brother, I didn't mean anything about it. That's the problem. You didn't mean anything by it. And you used His name in vain and you did not reverence His name and give Him glory and honor that's due to His name. Well, I didn't mean anything. That's the problem. God's name is not a joke. It doesn't make jokes funnier. Every time that we breathe or utter His name, it ought to be due with due reverence and respect and honor and glory given to Him who is due all honor, praise, and glory. It's not like our name. You say my name however you want. It is what it is. But I've done nothing to earn the reverence and honor that God has. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. He won't hold you guiltless. He does not overlook it. 
He doesn't just say, well, they didn't mean anything. It's okay. No! Stop using His name in vain. Nor should we swear by His name knowing we're lying. I have no desire to keep it. Oh, I swear to God, I'll do it. You're a liar and a blasphemer. You took the name of the Lord in vain. God will avenge His name. Last on the vertical element here, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The forgotten law of the land. This is not a ceremonial suggestion. This is the moral law of God. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. How many times have I heard, well, that was for the Jews. Are you serious? Where does it say that? He says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It is a day set apart to reverence God and to rest from our labors and to worship Him. I'll prove that to you. Let's look here. Mark 2. Mark 2, verse 27, 28. The Bible says, He said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. In Revelation 1 and verse number 10, Revelation 1 and verse number 10. The Scripture says this, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. In the New Testament we see the Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath, referred to as the Lord's day. Of course, all days are the Lord's, but they use this significance talking about it in relation to the law, that it is the Sabbath day. It is the Christian Sabbath Why do we celebrate on this day? Why do we honor it on this day? It's because the day that the Lord rose from the dead. And so now we worship on the Lord's day, which is Sunday. But it's still keeping in line with remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy. This is not a day to go out and do as you please. This is not the day that you forgot to mow your yard Saturday and so you get it done today. This is not a day that you work a little extra. If you can't make enough money in six days, the seventh is not going to help. Amen. If you can't budget any better than that, don't break the Sabbath. It's not the nine commandments and the one suggestion. This is the ten commandments and this relates in our relationship to God. And one of the greatest things about this verse... This is not given to bind us, but this is given to us as a day of rest. Amen. A good day. Right. A good day. It's a gift from God that we could take a day to rest with our families to worship the triune God. And that we don't have to work on the seventh day. What a glorious day. What a glorious day to set apart from all the rest where we can come together and worship God corporately. What a great day where we don't have to get caught up in the rest of the mess of the world. Listen, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. Thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou shalt, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, 
nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. We have a day of rest. We have a day appointed by God to worship Him, to rest from our labors, to take time off to worship God. We should not plan events, our Sabbath days around events. What do I mean by that? We shouldn't say, well, I'll go to the worship service if I have time. The kids don't have a ball game. If we're if we can make time, if we can work it in. No, no, no. This day is special. This day comes first. This day comes first. You don't you don't get to change that. You don't get to make it well, I'll just do it if I can. Remember the Sabbath day. You know what remembering means? It means you've got to put it in your mind to do. You've got to plan it to do it. Right. If you're remembering something, you're saying, I'm going to do this. And if you're remembering the Sabbath, you say, on the Sabbath day, I am going to worship the Lord. I am not going to labor. I'm going to keep it holy unto the Lord. And in it, me and my household will follow God. And in this, we're going to honor God. To keep it holy is to keep it pure and sanctified as a day to the Lord. Now we go horizontally. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Children are to obey their parents, to honor them. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. How do you act with other people? You honor your father, you honor your mother, you live in obedience, you be a good example. Secondly, thou shalt not kill. We have a society that they shed fake tears when there's a shooting. I don't believe that they really care. You want to know why I don't believe that they really care? Because they kill millions of babies every year. We live in a society that has been uh, scarred, and like their conscience is seared. They kill babies all the time like it's no big thing. And you have people that call themselves Christians they say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a pro-choice Christian. That's ridiculous. Thou shalt not kill. We are image bearers of God. We don't have the right to kill people and to take the life of babies and people and murder. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Marriage bed is... You know, marriage is honorable and all in the bed undefiled. When you make a commitment in marriage, you're making a covenant between you, your spouse, and God. You often hear so many times, say, well, I don't really like the Ten Commandments. They're so binding. They're so hard. Well, God just doesn't want me to have any fun. 
What's fun about killing people and your wife running around on you and lying and stealing? What's fun about that? What's fun about blaspheming God? These are things that we get to do with Christian liberty where we get to be conformed to the image of Christ. We do these things because we have been changed. We've been given new desires. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, I've never committed physical adultery. Jesus even took it to the next step. You look on a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Mm-hmm. Friends, it's the outward. See, we, we have this problem. The externals, the actual acts, that's just the out showing of what's in the heart. Mm-hmm. You say, well, I've never committed that. What is in your heart? Well, I've never killed someone. Have you been angry at your brother without cause? You're a murderer. I've never committed adultery. What do you watch on TV? Thou should not steal. Man ought to work with his hands. And if you can't get it by honest gain, you don't need it. You shall not steal. Let him that stole steal no more, but work with his hands. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. You shall not lie. Be honest. We as God's people ought to be characterized by honesty and truth and love for God. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Listen to this. The American dream is not compatible with the gospel. We have been taught for so long that you have to have what the Joneses have. You have to keep up with them. If you don't have this, you've got to borrow yourself and steal and lie and cheat until you can get it. And if you don't have a big house and a nice car and all this, then you really haven't got anything. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. We ought to learn in all things to be content with where the Lord has us and with what He has given us. Wow, how unthankful it is that when we say that all that God has given us and we look at Him and we say, I want more. Well, how does that look toward God? We ought not to covet after other people's things. Why is all this important? This is how we live to the glory of God. First, Secondly, in reading this, we see that we cannot keep it. We cannot perfectly hold up the law of righteousness, the law of God, but there was one who did. And His name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came into this world, born of a virgin, and lived the sinless life and obeyed the law in all ways, in the heart and in action. And indeed, He followed, He was obedient even unto death. And where you and I cannot, He did. And that's our only hope of righteousness, is to look to Him in faith. He alone can save. You're wicked, I'm wicked, and we deserve that death. He was righteous in our stead. 
Bible says, For God hath made Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. But secondly, it doesn't stop there. If you're saved, you ought to be doing these things. To the glory of God. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, as we've come together this evening, Father, I pray that you would be glorified in all that's accomplished. Father, our first desire this evening is that you would be given glory. Lord, for each and every one of us that are saved, I pray that you would help us and give us grace to be obedient to your law. Lord, that we would choose this day to follow you in obedience and holiness and righteousness, that we would not fall into this trap that seems to be plaguing our day, that it doesn't matter how you live as long as you pray to prayer. Oh, God, grant repentance and faith to those that are lost. And God, I pray that each and every young person here as they go to their schools and things, that you would help them to live this life that you've called them into to glorify you and that one day we would enjoy you forever. Father, be with us. We'll thank you and praise your holy name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.